their eyes were opened. They could see. They saw their own inadequacy and insufficiency. We learned to play this ruthless game of hide-and-seek only to be found when we felt worthy. Man would hide. God would seek. The devil, marring the image of the one in whose image we bore, would play now in the only shadow of the garden, not within the plants, nor animals, but within the human spirit. Was it the first time we saw, or the first time we couldn't? Welcome to Braveheart Podcast. It's Wesley here, and welcome to The Garden. Um, Our heart behind this podcast is to produce gospel-centered content that helps bring freedom to those who are feeling stuck, whether that's in the relationship with the Lord, or you're feeling stuck in sin, or you feel stuck and hindered from growing up into Christ-likeness. And The Garden is a 12-week series that we're currently in, where we're going back to the garden and exploring the gospel message from the very beginning. Uh, This is the second episode of The Garden, so if you haven't listened to the first one, make sure to go back and listen to that. It's titled The Garden. Um, And these really will build on each other. So if you haven't listened to the first one, make sure to do that before you listen to this one. We'd highly encourage it. And if you haven't already, make sure to subscribe to the Braveheart Podcast so that you don't miss out on the upcoming episodes. So I hope you enjoy. I want to read this and then then we'll hop into the, the fall. Galatians 1 verse 6, Paul says this. He says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting Him. That's how Paul viewed it. They were deserting Jesus. Deserting Him who called you in the grace of God and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you have received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Just a side note, if you want to do anything for God, you've got to get delivered of the fear of man. You have to. He says, if I were still trying to please man, not I would be a bad servant of Christ, not I would be a compromise. He just said, I would not be a servant of Christ. You cannot be a man pleaser and serve God. And you must be delivered. We all must be delivered of that. Um, because I think it's plaguing the church. And I believe, I believe there has been a distorted gospel that many of us have heard. Um, and it's, pro- it's produced distorted fruit, and it's left many of us in guilt, shame, and condemnation, um, tired, burnout, still struggling with sin. Um, and so I went on this journey uh, about eight years ago to, to seek the Lord and go, God, I want to know your gospel. I want to know, know the power of the gospel to save humanity. Like, and then check this out. If you keep reading in Galatians 1, I just lost it. Here it is. 
This is so cool. He says, For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. This is really important. You say, what's man's gospel? Man's gospel is all about man. It's about your sins being forgiven. It's about you going to heaven. It's about, it's about what God can do for you. And I fear that many people today have come into the kingdom through man's gospel. Now, I'm not, I don't want to question people's salvation. I believe if someone puts their faith in Jesus as the Messiah, the death, burial, and resurrection, only God knows that. But if they put their faith, they'll be born again, receive the Holy Spirit. Praise God. But what's happened, and I've, you've heard me say this, our growth into the nature of Christ has been stunted because we've not had, we've not continued in the gospel, we've not continued in faith. For many believers, they don't understand how the gospel is applicable to their Christian life today. When I would submit and contend, it's the most important message for your life today. It's, it's, it's it. It is, the, it is the driving force of you growing up into Christ. Um, and so like we started with the fall, uh, I mean with the garden. Um, oh, sorry, I didn't, I didn't keep reading Galatians 1. Let's, let's finish this out. He says, For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. That's amazing. But I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. A revelation of Jesus is an unveiling of Jesus. So Paul's saying, Jesus was unveiled to me, and I saw Jesus. And that was the gospel that he preached to them. And so what we're going to do in these next three weeks is we're going to unveil Jesus. We're going to reveal Jesus. And what that means is I'm not going to just say Jesus to you. I'm going to say Jesus to you. I'm going to point you to the prophetic history of that work that he did. And I'm going to show you the purpose and the intent behind his works in saving you. And you know what that's going to do? That's going to give you confidence. Like how many of you were certain the day you got born again, you're like, I'm going to heaven when I die. Why were you so certain? Because the preacher told you that if you put your faith in the death, burial, and resurrection, your sins will be forgiven and you'll go to heaven. He preached the word to you. Now let me ask you, what did you add? What work did you do to get born again? You believed. What other work? Did you do anything? Did you jump in through any other hoops? So it's completely by the grace of God, through faith, that you were saved by the Holy Spirit when you got born again. Is everyone in agreement? Yeah. So you didn't add anything. It wasn't like, okay, I want you to believe and... There was none of that? Are we sure? Certain. Okay. So then my question is, why is it when we get born again and saved spiritually that we then work to try to stay saved and to grow up in God? If you were saved by grace through faith, I would like to submit to you that you are sanctified and glorified in the same way, by grace through faith. And the reason why there's not a lot of believers that are sanctified and, and, and being glorified is because we've not continued in the works of Jesus. And we haven't had understanding and I believe that, that, that men and women of God will be transformed through the renewing of their mind. That a literal transformation will take place when you have understanding. You go, wow, Jesus, you did that for me. Like when you understood that he died on that cross to save you, something clicked. Like you had understanding. Like you go, wow. And that God wanted you to have peace and eternal life. Right? And so I have that same desire, I believe, through the gospel as we study his works. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to highlight them here in a minute. Um, oops. Is, that, is that you're going to be 
your, your faith, your faith is going to explode and go, wow, you're telling me, Peter, I have access to the grace of God that will save me continually from all the junk I'm wrestling with. That will, that will, that will, the same way I got born again in a moment, there will be this, there will be this supernatural grace and something happens to me that, that saves me and sanctifies me that I can't, that will just come by faith. Yeah, that's what I'm telling you. And so I want to walk you through this again. We're going to hop into the fall. Uh, we started with the garden. Uh, the last section was the garden. We talked about, um, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's the first verse of, of Romans 3.23 of the Romans Road. Um, and I emphasize the importance uh, for me that I wrestled with the fact that uh, for years I used to share that scripture with the lost. Um, but I found, I found myself frustrated with the timing of it. Um, and so I began to begin to tell the Lord, Lord, why does this bother me so much? And I heard him whisper to me and he said, son, explain to them the glory that man fell from. Um, and we talked about the glory that God and man had in the beginning, the intimacy, the fellowship and all of that. And so uh, we're going to look at the fall, but I want to highlight this big picture for you so that you guys understand where we're going. Um, the fall uh, that we're about to study is about about what actually happened at the fall. For me, I grew up and I, I believed that there was uh, mankind rebelled against God willfully. Um, I do believe there was a disobeying of God's command, but when I read the text, um, and my understanding is that Adam was not sinful prior to the fall, right? Eve was not sinful prior to the fall. So what had been portrayed, whether inadvertently or, or intentionally, was that mankind had sinfulness prior to the fall and decided to rebel against God because he wanted to live apart from God. That was my understanding. But that frustrated me because I thought, well, then if, if, if man sinned against God willfully, then that means he had some sort of sin inside of him. You guys ever wrestled with that? Like, how did he sin if he wasn't sinful? Yeah, we'll hop into that. Okay. We'll dive into that. So the fall, we're going to look specifically at what happened to man that, that has now created a domino effect in humanity. This is really important, guys. So we're going to go to consequences next week. You have to understand the catalyst that started the fall of man. And then you have to understand how, how sin affected you and me. And that's what we're going to look at in consequences. We're going to study how sin jacked us up. It, it jacked us up thoroughly. Because if you don't understand how sin messed with you specifically and, and that it took time, how many of you know it took time for sin to mess with humanity? It took time. We'll hop into that on the consequences. Um, and so you're gonna, we're going to follow this journey. It's the context of the gospel. If you don't understand the context, the remedy doesn't make much, much sense. I see these billboards everywhere, these little bumper stickers, and they say trees are the answer. Okay, that could be true if we know the question, <laughs> right? I don't know the question, so we don't know the answer. We've presented Jesus, and many people don't know the question. They don't know, so they don't have understanding. Does that make sense? Um, so that's consequences. And then we're going we're gonna, 
highlight Israel. Now, Israel plays a very, very important role in our understanding of the gospel and our walking it out. Israel had the covenant with God, the relationship with God. So high, high level, God started a family. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who became Israel, and then the 12 tribes, the 12 sons of Israel, they became God's family. Let's make it real simple, real plain. God was like, okay, sin sin has jacked with my world. They've jacked with my people. And God says, I'm going to start a family. That's awesome. They were his family on the earth. They're like, he's like, you're going to be my people. Not those people. Nope, not those people. Abe, I'm starting with you. We're going to start a family. God wanted a family. So you have a family in the garden. Stuff went really wrong. You have individuals walking with God. And then all of a sudden, this explosion of hope and light comes through Israel in this dark, 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 dark world. Think about this. Sin has corrupted and scorched the earth and, de- and made humanity depraved. And God says, uh-uh, I'm not going to leave myself without a witness on the earth. I'm starting a family. In God's wisdom and His plan. So you family people who have families, don't despise family. God chose through a family to, to bring light and hope to the world. It's through Israel, through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that the hope of the gospel was promised to you and me. Y'all have got to marinate in that for a second. The gospel story doesn't just start with us presenting Jesus. It starts with this, this story that we're grafted into. If the mystery of the gospel is that Gentiles are fellow heirs with Israel, then you need to know Israel, right? You need to understand where we come from. And so I want you to see this. So God, and this is so cool, God makes three promises specifically through Israel to the world. This is, you're about to hear the gospel. I'm going to get excited. God starts a family and he goes, all right, fam, I want you to make, you're going to make three promises concerning my son. And, and these promises will be written down. They'll be, they'll be recorded by my prophets over the years. So over the course of, of hundreds and thousands of years, God's family began to make promises concerning Jesus. And not just any promises, three distinct promises. He made three Israel, the prophets. When I say Israel, I mean the law and the prophets. They speak to three distinct promises of Jesus. And they're, they're actually there hidden in the garden. And I'll, and I'll show you that in a second. So the first, the first promise of the Father to the world is that Jesus would come as a Messiah. Now the promise of the Messiah would, would be uh, understood as, as someone who would reconcile the world back to God, the, as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That was promised through Israel. And so in that promise, and we'll, we'll, we'll dive into these later in the coming weeks, um, but that promise of Jesus, this is so important for you to understand, that promise of Jesus was to save you spiritually. That specific promise was for your spiritual death. And that would produce peace in your heart. Okay? So you'll see that on the, on the sheet here. Uh, you have the, it's for the Spirit. It produces peace and that's called our justification. The second promise that's made through Israel to the world is the promise of the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 1, Jesus says, I want you to wait for the promise of the Father. So the Father promised that Jesus would baptize humanity in the Holy Spirit. 
that is a work that Jesus does that, that we can't do. How many of you know we, didn't, we don't baptize ourselves in the Holy Spirit? Just like we don't get born again by ourselves, we don't baptize ourselves in the Holy Spirit. It's Jesus that does that. Now, this work has not been presented in the gospel for many of us. Like, you do not have the gospel without Pentecost. You don't. The, gospel, the Pentecost was the consummation in this age. Hear me. Pentecost was the consummation in this age of Christ dwelling with man and, ha- and being restored of what he always wanted. Because that was the first moment when the Holy Spirit, the Shekinah glory of God, the presence of God Himself, was put back into humanity. It's amazing. And when He comes back, His return, which is the third and final promise that Israel makes, you'll see prophecies concerning the, the second coming of Christ. Um, you, you see the consummation of all things physically. The glorification of our bodies and that's what produces purity in us. John says, he goes, man, guys, as you set your hope fully on him, everyone who hopes in Jesus' return purifies himself as he is pure. So when I talk about in this, in this course, you're going to get, you're gonna, two things are going to happen. Your faith is going to be established and your love for one another is going to be strengthened. The fruit of your faith is this, peace, power, and purity. So here's how you know whether you have faith in the works of Jesus. You walk in peace. You walk in power and you walk in purity. That's that's the evidence that faith is established in your heart, that you're walking in faith upon Jesus. You have peace with God. You have power, power in your heart and mind, power over your thoughts, power over sin, power to demonstrate the will of God, power to overcome. I'm talking about real dunamis, Holy Ghost power that you read about in the book of Acts. If you don't have power in your life, it's because your faith is shaky upon His work on Pentecost. Because Pentecost is a gift. Power of God is a gift of God. It's not something that you earn through spiritual works and spiritual discipline. It's the gift of God that He gives you so you can run your, your race well. We were all destined to have power. Even the guys waiting tables in Acts had power. Alright? You guys with me? And then finally, purity. If you, don't, if you don't live with an awareness of His return, your life will, will have an impurity to it. Why? Because you're, you're living in some senses in a vacuum unto yourself with no, with no moment in time like He's coming for us. That's not to produce fear. That's called our blessed hope. So it's like, man, our King is coming. There should be a, a readiness and a certainty and a purity about our lives. Like, Man, I'm not going to waste my time doing certain things because the Lord's coming. Are you with me? Like, I'm not going to set worthless things before my eyes because the Lord's coming. So His return, faith in His return will produce a purity. So when I say faith, here's how you can tell and discern a litmus test, if you will, according to the Word of God. Am I walking in faith? Do I walk in peace? Do I have peace with God? Do I wake up feeling connected to Him, feeling just completely at rest and ease with Him? If no, then you need to go back to His work as Messiah and you need to stay there and let study the Word of God and let, let the Word of God build your faith in what He did as Messiah because that will produce peace in your heart. If you're lacking power, you need to go look at Pentecost. You need to go study His work at Pentecost. You need to hear preaching on the work of Pentecost and understand that the gift of power, the gift of the Holy Spirit comes as a gift, not something for you to earn. 
because you were meant to have power. You were not meant to be a victim of life and your circumstances around you. And finally, if you find that your life is not pure, if there's impure thoughts, if there's impure things in your life, I encourage you, meditate on His return. We're, and we're going to examine those in the coming weeks. Um, so, so what happens, I believe, biblically, scripturally, according to the Word of God, is that when your faith reaches out and lays hold of the works of Jesus. I just presented the, the triune works of Jesus that for me, this is the gospel message. I want you to look at that screen. Those three works of Jesus is the gospel message. It is the heart and meat of the gospel. It is the power of God to save you. Those three works. How many of you know they're, they're His works, not ours? So those three are, are Jesus working. And when you put your faith and you understand why He did these works, this is so important, this is why we're doing this class. When you understand the why behind the works, your faith comes alive and there's something that's supplied to you. And it's called grace. Grace flows to you. I'm talking about abundance of grace. It flows to you from those works. The moment your faith reaches up and goes, that's for me. All of a sudden, grace comes. Now, I want you to understand something. Grace is the power of God. Grace is the power of God. Romans 1 says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God. And we're saved through the gospel by Grace. So grace is literally the substance and nature and power of the Holy Spirit to do two things. It does two, two things, I believe, simultaneously through faith. When you put your faith in Jesus, grace comes. Grace is supplied. Grace is a, is a real thing. How many of you know grace is real? It's a supernatural, real thing. So grace is supplied to you. And it does two things. It removes the negative effects of the fall of man, all the sins that you've done, all the things that you've done. It, it, it washes those away. It deals with those. It breaks the power of those. Those trespasses and sins that you can't overcome, grace deals with that. It, it dominates them. It trumps them. Why? Because it flows from the works of Jesus. And so not only does it remove the negative effects of the fall of man, but this is where we've missed it, I believe, where we we haven't preached the word of God fully, is it also, grace also confers upon us the righteousness of Jesus, the nature of God. When I say the righteousness of Jesus, it's the nature of Jesus, the rightness of Jesus. So I want you to picture that. Grace does two things. It saves you from the negative effects of all the bad things and sin and death and, and sickness and disease and anxiety and fear. Like picture every negative thing that came from sin. Grace saves you from that. That's awesome. Can we thank God for that? But it also, this is what's so powerful about the gospel, is it also takes your now saved self. Because how many of you know grace either saves you or it doesn't? You can't be like, well, I'm saved and I'm still a sinner wrong you're either saved or you're a sinner either grace saved you or it didn't right so if it saved you then it's it's removed those things from you now let me ask you if i have um if i had a tumor on my arm and 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 a doctor cut it off and he saved me from that tumor like how many of you know 
that my arm is now, is now clean and clear, but it would have a hole in it. I did. I had a tumor right here. And there was a hole in it. Now, that would be cool. I would thank God that, that the tumor was removed. But unless something replaced it, I would have an exposed arm. Right? And, and that's where I feel like a lot of Christians are. We've, been, we've allowed God to kind of partially save us from, from some things without putting back onto us what we were made for, which is the glory of God and the nature of Christ, which comes to us in the form of the gift of righteousness. Did you know righteousness is a gift? So He washes us so squeaky clean by His blood and His work as Messiah, and then He clothes us with His righteousness. Why? Why does He clothe us with His righteousness? So that we can walk back into His presence unashamed and know Him and experience union with Him, which is the next one down here. It's union. And then from that place of union, we bear fruit, and we'll talk about that. So that's an overview of this course that's a little like snippet of what we're going to cover like in over this whole thing but it's really really important because because my heart and desire when you study this uh this chart is to connect your life to the grace of god i want the grace of god to flow in you like no restrictions grace stops flowing to you when your faith all of a sudden is placed in something other than the works of jesus the grace will stop flowing. You say, well, how come I've stopped growing in God? Because your faith was not established in the works of Jesus, so the flow of grace stopped. Are you with me? And so when you start trying to live your Christian life apart from grace, you end up defaulting to the law. And then you're, you're all sorts of messed up. You get tired and burn out. So let's go to Genesis chapter 2, chapter 3, and we're going to study the fall quickly. Um, and this is so amazing. And so as we finished in Genesis chapter 2, um, we see that uh, 2.24, this is so cool. A man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and not ashamed. Now here's the X factor. Here's, here's what I want you to see is at this point in the text, mankind was in no way sinful. There was nothing inside of man that wanted to live apart from God. Do you guys see that? God, man wanted God. Man desired God. Man enjoyed fellowship with God because he didn't know anything else. It's so important. And I know maybe I'm stepping on toes and some sacred traditions here because for many people, we have, we have grown to believe and think that man had this pre-fall that man had a desire to be apart from God. All I'm submitting to you and I'm pleading with you if you're, if you're here or if you're engaging with this is that you just look at the text and let the text speak for itself. I cannot find in my Bible any, any instance or anything that would point to the fact that man wanted to rebel against God. And I encourage you to study it out for yourself because that's really important. Because if, if, man, if mankind was the initiator of the rebellion, then somewhere God made it with the mankind with the capacity to rebel. Does that make sense? Yeah. Meaning, yes, we did have the capacity to rebel, but not the desire to. That's the difference. Man had the capacity to, rebe- to rebel, but not the, but not the desire. 
not the innate desire. And that's really important because there's some talk about the depravity of man and that we'll, we'll dive into that in a second. Um, so look at this. Now the serpent, everyone say now the serpent, now the was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. So insert the X factor, which is the serpent. Now what was, what was Adam told to do when he was put in the garden? To work it and to keep it, right? Yeah. To have dominion over every creeping thing. Yeah. Interesting. Remember that. He said to the woman, this is the serpent, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. Everyone say, your eyes will be opened. And you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now let me ask you a question. You don't have to answer right now, but think about it. Was mankind, Adam and Eve, like God already? They were. Were they like, were they like God in this way? They weren't. So there was, still, there was still a part of man that wasn't like God. Is that right? They, 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 they couldn't know good and evil at this point. Is that right? Because they had not eaten of the tree. So is what the devil is saying to her true? What part of it's not true? So he says this. He says, this is, let's study what the devil says for a second. Because it's in our Bible. Um, But the serpent said, you will not surely die. Was that true? That was a lie. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Was that true? Did God know that when they ate of it, that they would know good and evil like God? But is it true? But we'll, we'll find out later. So just ponder it, okay? Just ponder it. I, I'm submitting that the lie he tells is that you will not surely die. Because God says you will surely, the day you eat of the tree, you'll die, right? But the devil says you will not surely die. And then he gives sort of a caveat on, on why he thinks that. He says, God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate and she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Now in this moment, they, they disobeyed God's command. Why did they disobey? Do you see in the text Mankind willfully wanting to live apart from God. Okay, so she she's deceived into thinking. So so deception, deception was a catalyst for the fall. Can we say that? So deception, the devil 
inserted into the garden, deceived Eve. And then Adam was also deceived and he disobeyed the command. Do you guys see that? So the question we have to ask is, what what allowed Eve to be deceived? What other condition was there? Because this is important. Because we're now studying man pre-fall. They still haven't fallen just before this. They're still hanging on by a thread. So you have you have Eve's deception. But what preceded Eve's deception? What was what was Adam? Maybe his responsibility in the garden. What was he called to do? To have authority over every creeping thing. So so Adam was passive, I'm submitting. There was a passivity in Adam with the Word of God that made his wife susceptible to deception. Now that passivity in itself, I don't believe is necessarily a sin. He just didn't, because that wasn't a command. God didn't say, I command you to work the garden. He just, that was his job. And so he's, he's passive of sorts, which made way for the devil to come in and begin to lie to Eve. And through Eve's deception, then Adam, listen, I want you to see this. Adam gave up his authority. He was meant to lead Eve, right? So he now, in a sense, comes underneath Eve because she was the one that that said, hey, you know, here, take some of this, eat. And so now Adam is eating through the deception of his wife. And he too is now transgressing the command of God. So if you look back in Genesis 2.17, I want you to see this in your Bible. He says, But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. Now, when I read that, when I interpret that initially, face value, I'm expecting death. Physically die, because I'm thinking die, 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 die. Physical death. Right? That's what I'm thinking. But, and we don't know what God meant, how he meant died, except we can study the text and see what happened to Adam. And then we can understand, how many of you know God's not a liar? We know that in that day, if they eat of that, there's a death that's going to take place. So now we have to interpret what kind of death took place as we study these domino effects that are about to happen. Because now they've eaten the tree. We've now hopping, we're going to hop into what happened. So, uh, verse verse 6, they eat of the tree. Now, verse 7 is the first thing that happens to mankind after they disobey God, they sin, and they and the fall of man. This is the fall of man. This is the ground zero of the fall of man. And it says this, Then the eyes of both Adam and Eve were opened. Interesting. Let's, let's slow down and pause for that a second. If their eyes were open, it means before their eyes were... Okay. So, so, so now the Bible is giving us language and insight into what happened here. So it doesn't say, then they died. Then their eyes were opened. So there was a, some kind of death took place that coincided with the opening of their eyes. So there's a, there's a death equated with the opening of the eyes. And I would submit that it was a spiritual death. That in that moment, 
mankind's awareness of the Holy Spirit, the presence of God, was completely dead. Mankind lost the capacity to recognize, to enjoy, and to fellowship with the presence of God. That was, that was man's spiritual death, is that we became deadened to God. We became, our senses, our awareness of God was, was, was blacked out. We were dead to God. Are you with me? Now, what's crazy about this is that he's still in the garden. And so we're going to see what happens when man who's dead to God's presence, who's dead to an awareness of God and why that deadness came. Because things happen. We go, okay, so he's dead to God. But how did that deadness happen? I believe it happened through the opening of their eyes. Now, what did they see? What was the first thing that mankind saw with his newfound eyes? Because this is important. And they knew that speaks of knowledge. The opening of eyes coincided with a fresh knowledge that entered into them through the tree. And this knowledge entered in and all of a sudden they knew that they were naked. Now, how many of you know their being naked wasn't bad? They were naked with God. That's how God made them. Was being naked bad? So why would knowing that you're naked, if you just knew that you were naked, why would that have any effect on anything? It shouldn't, right? Oh, I know I'm naked. Okay, great. I I was naked before. Well, that tells us that they didn't know that they were naked before. They couldn't see their nakedness. So they were blind to their flesh in that sense. And all they could see was God. Eyes were open to God and closed to their self, to their insecurity, to self-consciousness. The moment the fall happened, their eyes closed to God and all they can see is themselves. Now, seeing yourself in and of yourself is not necessarily bad. What they do with that knowledge is what's bad. Here's what Adam does. Let's keep reading. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. So they're covering their nakedness now with their knowledge. Why would they do that? So now now mankind in this moment has the knowledge of good and evil, which is divine. And the first thing he does is he clothes himself. What does that mean he judged himself? He judged himself evil, right? So man sat in a judgment seat outside of himself, looked at himself and goes, you're bad, you need to cover that. Watch what happens. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees. Had God addressed them yet? So God just starts walking and they hear the sound and man hides. We got we to dial into their fear. Why do they hide? Let's keep reading. But the Lord God called to the man. So here's, here's the first instance of God pursuing man hiding from God. How many of you know God knew what happened? He didn't come down with a flame of fire and, and, and ready to rebuke them and chastise them. He came in and he's walking. He's, I believe where he met with Adam every day in the cool of the day. He's in the secret place and he's like, where are you? Why are you not where you've always been in all of our relationship? Why are you not here? 
I believe that's the purest cry of an evangelist. When you go to the lost, it's where are you? It's where are you? That's the heart of God. When someone's hiding from His presence, the, the, the heart of the Father calls out to the lost son or daughter and says, where are you? Why are you not here with me? It's okay. Y'all can go with it, man. If the Lord touches you, just go with it. So look at this. Look at this. This is so amazing and sad and beautiful. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden. I heard the sound of you. I just heard you walking. Oh, this, this breaks my heart. And I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He doesn't say I was afraid because I disobeyed your command. He doesn't say I was afraid because I rebelled against you because I wanted to live apart from you. He says, I was afraid because I was naked. See, his fear was connected to his knowledge of his nakedness, him judging himself evil. His fear of the presence of God came from that, like, that thing of like, oh man, God's, God's, this is not good. And the fear came from within himself. It had nothing to do with God. It was self-imposed fear through the knowledge of good and evil. You guys see that? The fear wasn't from the wrath of God and the anger of God and God's going to kill me because I disobeyed what He told me to do. Did He disobey? Yes. Did He transgress the command of God? Yes. But I want you to see the effect of the human heart upon is that He he hid because He was naked and He had judged Himself evil. And God said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me uh, fruit of the tree and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you've done? See, God's getting to the bottom of it. He's getting to the catalyst. He's getting to the the heart of the issue. Adam, what have you done? Who told you? Did, Did you eat of the tree? The woman gave me some. He's like, Woman, what have you done? And the woman says, The the serpent deceived me and I ate. And then you see God address the issue. You see God address the issue at hand. First and foremost, He looks at the serpent. I want you to see this. The first one He addresses with the consequence of the fall of man was not Adam, was not Eve. It was the devil. I want you to see that the brunt of the wrath of God from the fall of man is towards the devil. It's not towards man. Devil, because you've done this, cursed are you. He curses the devil. He curses that snake above all livestock and above all the the beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, Jesus, and you shall bruise his heel. Again, right here is a prophetic messianic prophecy. Watch this. To the woman, he said, he doesn't curse the woman, but he says, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Verse 17, and to Adam, he said, watch this. Watch this. This is so important. This is how God addresses man after the fall. Because you have listened to the voice of your wife. Instead of whose voice? Instead of God's, right? Because God told them, son, I don't want you to eat of that tree. Because you were passive with my voice, because you weren't intentional with my voice, 
and you've listened to the voice of your wife, watch, and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. So man wasn't cursed in the fall. He wasn't cursed by God. God did not look at man and go, I curse you because of what you've done. I'm so mad at you. I curse you. He says, son, because you listened to the voice of your wife and you ate that tree which I commanded you, cursed is the ground. That which I gave you authority over, it's now cursed because of you. Because, because when you disobey God, those that you have authority over, those ones receive the consequences. That's why parents can screw their kids up so much. Watch this. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken. For you are dust and to dust you shall return. Here is a proclamation of death that his physical body would die. Before this, man was not going to return to the dust. Man was never meant to die. Until this moment, he says, man, there's something that's been set in place and now your physical body that I gave you that was immortal, it's going to go to the grave. It's going to go back to the dust. Now keep reading. This is where it gets good. We're, we're, we're winding down on time. This is so amazing to me. We're still, we're still post-fall before they're out of the garden. Then man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. Isn't that weird that Eve gets a name after all this? I find that interesting. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and he clothed them. Do you see an angry God? He kills an animal, the first animal ever killed, and he clothes them with blood and with skins. It's such a prophetic picture of the heart of God. He goes, man, now that you're judging yourself evil, I'm actually going to upgrade your coverings. I'm going to help you out here. This will help you. This will help your shame. He's so merciful. He's so compassionate. Even in this fall where he's about to to send them out of the garden, he clothes them. Now watch this. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Meaning, He didn't know good and evil before, but he's become like one of us. The problem with the fall of man is that humanity became more divine than we were meant to be. We, mankind, Adam and Eve, took a divinity that they were never meant to have. Why? Because that divinity, that knowledge of good and evil, that ability to sit like God and to judge good and evil is what compromises our relationship. And we were never meant to have that knowledge apart from intimacy with Him. You were never meant to have the knowledge of good and evil apart from relationship with God. And so He acknowledges. He says, Behold, man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. Watch this. Now, because of that reality, lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever... Therefore, because of that reason, so that he wouldn't be stuck in that condition, the Lord God sent him out of the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. 
even in him sending man out of the garden, was an act of compassion, was an act of love so that man wouldn't be stuck in that condition. And he drove out the man, and at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. And so I want you to see this uh, as we close, is that before man ever sinned against God, meaning willfully, because in the garden we know that he was deceived and he sinned. And so willful rebellion didn't take place. The first effect of sin in the fall of man was that mankind hid from the presence of God. Why is that important? Because if you don't understand that, you'll have all your sins forgiven. You'll have all the things that you did away from God's presence. How many of you know when you begin to hide from God's presence, mankind opens himself up to be deceived by the devil and all manner of wickedness and depravity can be formed in his heart? We're going to talk about that next week about the consequences. But there is a domino effect on humanity that took place that corrupted, that, that corrupted us. But if you don't realize that it was your eyes being opened to see yourself and to see others and to judge in a way that you weren't meant to judge, it causes you to hide from His presence. That right there, there are Christians who have their sins forgiven. All that they've done, it's forgiven, but they still hide from God's presence because their eyes are still opened to their nakedness, to other people's nakedness. And what they do is they're so obsessed with the flesh of others and the flesh of themselves, they disqualify themselves from that glorious garden experience because they're, they're, they're still bound to seeing according to the flesh. And what God wants us to do is put our eyes on Jesus, to take our eyes off of ourselves, for us to be clothed in His righteousness, not only forgiven for all the things that we've done away from God's presence, but He says, I don't want you to hide anymore. I want you to put that robe of righteousness on so that when you look at yourself in the mirror and you try to judge yourself like me, He made a way for us to judge ourselves right according to Jesus so that we can walk boldly and confidently into His throne, into His presence, that we can be carriers of the presence of God. Without that, guys... Our, our witness will be compromised because we'll, we'll constantly have a weak conscience and we'll be, you know what I'm saying? And so, so that's the, that's the, I want you guys to meditate on the fall. I want you to read Genesis 3 through 9, if you can, uh, for next week. And I want you to really, um, I want you to really study the domino effect of sinfulness upon the human heart. Mankind didn't die physically at once. It took him some time to die. Uh, and we're gonna, we're gonna look at why that is. If you enjoyed this episode, I would encourage you to share it with a friend and maybe even go through this series together with some friends. There's something really powerful that happens when you walk together with your community and you dive into the truth of the gospel together. So we'd encourage you to do that and we hope you stay tuned for next week. Be blessed.